everyone, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 33 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about Doctor Who seasons one through three on your sorry, I'm so sorry podcast. I'm Andy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. Hey, Mandy, knock, knock. Who's there? Doctor. <laughs> Doctor Who. Yes, that's right. <laughs> okay. Now, those are Doctor Who jokes we did when I was 10. Those are the jokes that are allowed. <laughs> oh, but the show did it so well. We'll no. get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> uh, before we get started talking about my second favorite television show in the entire universe, no guilt there, Matthew, I do want to take a minute and squee a little bit because since the time we did our last television episode and now they did finally announce who the new doctor is going to be and it's a woman you guys yay excellent <laughs> yes i'm so excited when i first saw the news it's funny i was at band practice for sunday assembly and i was like i had my phone in my hand the whole time just refreshing and refreshing because there was no set time you know it was just after the wimbledon men's final is done mm-hmm. and there I don't know how long tennis matches take. And so we were singing and I was literally, my phone was in my hand and I was scrolling and scrolling, just like refreshing my like news alerts. And uh, finally it popped up. And my first thought was, who is Jodie Whittaker? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I had no idea. Um, But then I figured it out because I have actually watched Broadchurch. And I am so excited. I'm so excited. I think she's going to be fantastic. Mm. Yeah, she's very capable. And I think the showrunner from Broadchurch is now the showrunner of Doctor Who. Yes. So that's good as well, because he's a very capable person. Yeah, and they've already worked together. Mm. So I'm really excited. And I heard that um, she will appear in the Christmas episode, um, because Capaldi will finish regenerating in that episode. And so we will see her. And supposedly the new showrunner will be directing those scenes that that have her. So I'm really, really excited. But it's still months and months and months away. It's a bit like having Thor at the end of your Doctor Strange film. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. I think at some point we'll have a, a good conversation about how we want to see it written. Yes. Is it going to be different? I... Is it this just another take on the character? We're not going to address the fact that gender's been changed. Yeah, I'm a little curious to see how they do that because the show does take on different personalities based on who the showrunner is. Mm. And that's actually one of the things I wanted to start talking about in this episode since uh, Russell T. Davies is the showrunner for everything that you've seen up to this point. And it it will change to, to Stephen Moffat during the next mm. uh, episode that we do. Um, it'll switch. And so I, I definitely want to pay attention to that and, and how the show's personality changes because it really does, I think. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've heard a number of different things about the Moffat era. Some people like it, some people not, but I think because it's the most easy for people to look who have come to new Doctor Who. Right. I mean, we started you off with two Moffat episodes. He's been quite a thing over here for a long time. He uh, worked on a, a teen drama series called Press Gang. Um, had a number of actors who went on to become quite famous. Um, he worked on a sitcom called Coupling that we've said we will, we will watch at some point. Yes. I'm actually really excited to see that at some point. I've mm. watched a few clips now. It's excellent. Um, and he even wrote, which I, I may or may not... No, this is a good place to talk about. He wrote a Doctor Who parody 
for Comic Relief. Okay. Do you have Do you have Comic Relief over there? It's um no. every every two years. It's a fundraiser for charity for particularly children's charities and uh, third world countries. Uh, but it's all comedians coming together. So they put things together. They go out and they film things doing good works. They do silly skits. People are supposed to do stuff that's silly. Uh, the, the sort of stereotype is sit in a, a bathtub of baked beans for, for 24 hours and get sponsored to do it. It's very silly, but it raises a lot of money for charity. And one year, ooh, 99 it might have been, um, they did a Doctor Who parody. Doctor Who and the Curse of the Fatal Death. Uh, which has a whole thing about him and the master and the doctor uh, and the Daleks, and it's all very silly. But it ends up with uh, Rowan Atkinson is playing the doctor, and he gets killed, and he regenerates into Richard E. Grant, and he gets killed very quickly, and he regenerates into Jim Broadbent, who gets killed very quickly, and he regenerates into Hugh Grant, who gets killed very quickly, and he regenerates into Joanna Lumley, and she takes the master by the by the arm and goes. Hmm, this is something I can live with, and walks off. <laughs> nice. And that was written by Stephen Moffat, and it, it's very, very funny. And that was effectively the thirteenth Doctor being a female Doctor. Awesome. That's interesting mm. too, because that's before the reboot even happened. And mm, absolutely, uh, Rowan Atkinson, Hugh Grant, and um, I, you didn't mention Bill Nighy in that, but those three were all up for the role of the Doctor. And I wonder mm. if it's because they had previously done this parody yeah maybe it's interesting to me mm. i i can't imagine any of them doing it <laughs> i remember when um it did restart with chris reckleston eddie azard was highly touted for it and I'm, I'm a big fan of his and his comedy um he would have made an excellent part in that role okay well before we get started i want to tell everybody a little bit why i decided i really 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 wanted to do some pcd episodes about doctor who when it's something that i love so much when usually we're watching things that i've never seen before and a lot of it is because for me doctor who is something that i really really want everybody in the world to watch just like buffy i think everybody should watch it you know there's there's a buffy episode for everything that you feel or think and i kind of feel that is also true for the doctor and for doctor who and doctor who is a show that came to me late in life i didn't start watching it in 2005 it was gosh probably 2008 it was right before matt smith started that i discovered it and i binged the first four seasons in like the span of a month maybe two and then had to wait for Matt Smith to start, and it just endeared itself to me so much. It's one of those shows that has taught me that I matter in the world, that ordinary people matter, that you don't have to be a superhero in order to make a difference in the world. And I feel like that's a message that despite the silliness and the cheesiness and everything that we get from a lot of Who episodes, that core theme comes out in in every season with every doctor that we've had so far and in fact i even have a tattoo a doctor who tattoo um from an episode that we haven't watched yet it's from one of matt smith's but it says you are unique in the universe and it's just something that has meant so much to me and trying to become who i am that i just really want everybody else to have that same experience (laughs) and i know you didn't matthew (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm just, I, I just want everybody to understand why this is something that I just, I love so much, even despite its flaws, because it is flawed. <laughs> it is, but it's still amazing. And I love it. 
So that being said, Matthew, why don't you tell us kind of what your history is with Doctor Who? I know you're not coming to it completely blind. You've seen some things. So, so kind of tell us about that. It, yeah, I think uh, definitely worth addressing up front. I have baggage with Doctor Who. Um, I watched it as a child. So there is there is an element of it that I consider it a program watched by children and very young people. Um, not in a, oh, that sounds really condescending. You know, I am, obviously. But no, I don't mean it to sound like that. Um, I, I also remember as a child I watched um, He-Man, possibly before I should have. Possibly I was a bit too young, maybe. But I consider that a childish cartoon. It was probably the same as like when I watched Thundercats, but I watched Thundercats when I was a bit older, so I, I consider that a more mature cartoon. You associate things with when you watch them, right? is I think what I mean. So I remember watching it, I watched Doctors 6 and 7, so Sylvester McCoy is my doctor, he's the one that I remember, and I can, I can actually remember his stories. Um, I owned the video of um, one of John Pertwee's serials, Death to, to the Daleks, uh, which I can remember enjoying it at the time. But I also remember appreciating that it could be pretty poor. Part of its charm was it's a little flimsy. They're generally running around some sort of quarry pit in the north or, or in Wales. Um, and, and the monsters are a little ropey. But you indulge yourself and, and it's in some of the writing and some of the setup that I think it was meant to have been more engaging. When the uh, renewal happened in 2005, was it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, when well, the renewal exciting. happened... Yes, um, I I watched a lot of Christopher Eccleston's series. I particularly really enjoyed it. He was very good. Some of the some of the stuff that they did was very good. It was quite interesting to see it shift into this episodic rather than serial nature because up until that it had always been every episode was actually part of a sort of four or five part story. I didn't really watch it when it switched to David Tennant. Um, he didn't hugely appeal. Billy Piper didn't hugely appeal, um, and it was about the same time that I was moving to London and starting a career up here. So I've never watched it since, and and I've dived back in occasionally. I've watched a couple of Peter Capaldi. Um, I watched the 50th anniversary special because everyone was watching it, so you had to. No, you really didn't, because <laughs> it doesn't make sense if you just watch that in the middle of everything else. If you haven't seen what leads up to it, there's no reason to watch it. Come on. I see, it thoroughly did. I got a lot out of it, and, and particularly having watched Christopher Eccleston's episodes and, and the episode Dalek in, in most above all of that. Yeah, I, I felt it did. But okay. hopefully I will gain a new appreciation for it through the, in this watch-through. Okay. Um, a little bit of background on Doctor Who. I'm amazed if anyone's 12 minutes into this episode <laughs> and, um, or not sure about or not aware of what Doctor Who is. Uh, but Doctor Who is a British science fiction series which started in 1963. It originally starred William Hartnell as a time traveller called the Doctor. Due to poor health, he wished to leave the show in 1966. So the writers devised a process called regeneration, wherein the Doctor transitions to a new face, body, and personality when he dies or is, is uh, mortally wounded. Between its initial release and 1989, there were seven actors as the Doctor. In 1989, after 26 seasons, the show was cancelled due to failing viewing numbers and a rising budget and, and competition from other series and movies. There was a one-off movie special that was made in 1996 which saw good viewing numbers but it wasn't considered successful enough to go to a whole new series. Um, I think one of the things there was trying to sell it to the United States and internationally in general and it did not take off at that point. Here endeth my history with Doctor Who. 
But during the late 90s and into the early 2000s, a gentleman by the name of Russell T. Davies lobbied the BBC to reboot the series in a way that would be more accessible to a 21st century audience. His 15-page pitch described a doctor who would be the kind of person you wanted to be your best friend, avoiding the 40-year backstory, except for the good bits, removing the Time Lords, and focusing on humanity. The BBC did order 13 episodes, and Davies wrote eight of them, giving us our first season of New Who. And by and large, it was very successful and very well received. It was, mm. um, which is why it's still going on today. <laughs> um, Matthew, do you want to do the honors of giving our listeners a brief synopsis of what you watched? A brief synopsis of Doctor Who. The time-travelling Doctor and his companions meet new people or new aliens. They make Doctor Who jokes. And then the Doctor saves the day through some sort of machination. Well done, Doctor. I I got nothing. Because you're not (laughs) technically wrong. (laughs) Uh, Mandy, how did you get to watch Doctor Who this time? In the United States... Doctor Who is now available on Amazon Prime, except for this most recent season. It's still not on Prime yet, which is frustrating because most people don't have Amazon Prime, but most people do have Netflix or Hulu. And since I've been watching the show, it has made its run through all of them. It, It was on Hulu, then it moved to Netflix, and they took it off of Netflix, and now it's on Amazon Prime. So I I hope it stays or goes back somewhere that's a little more easily accessible for folks. Give it a year or two, I bet you will have some sort of BBC international iPlayer, and they'll sell their own stuff. I would be okay with that. Mm. Over in the UK, it's on Netflix. It's all available, from what I can see. Uh, I had a couple of issues with it. Um, some episodes where it skipped the, um, the the opening, which at one time was a cliffhanger, or, or was coming <laughs> off a cliff- cliffhanger. <laughs> so it went into the episode, and they're all sat around with their feet up. I'm like... Okay, I know I know. I drag on the, the writing, but this is particularly bad, so... <laughs> oh, I remember that because uh, we were doing a live watch of that one, weren't we? Yes. <laughs> you were so confused. And I was like, Wait, they just showed it. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It cuts to him putting his feet up. All right, Matthew, you have told us that you came to Doctor Who with some baggage. So mm. keeping that in mind, what were your expectations for this new watch through? I expected some enjoyable adventure fare. Um, I didn't expect it to be hugely uh, original or particularly different from what I I knew of it and and considered it to be. Um, I did expect to get some more understanding for some of the things that I've seen referenced but not seen the origin of. Shouting Alon Z, for instance. Fantastic. Uh, You see, yeah, the fantastic I knew because I watched his thing and I liked that. That's a good catchphrase because he's a positive character. Right. Okay. Well, I have a question for you then. Did you find it to be not original or different from the classic Who? I think, yes, it's different in a few ways from classic Who. Uh, Not necessarily in always the best way, uh, particularly when you're looking at budgets, the technical capability to put out a show like this and to do better graphics and better monsters and so on. Um, What I particularly found this time is actually it, clearly takes a lot from existing science fiction, existing shows and things that either have happened in the interim or have been developed or uh, are stories everyone knows. Okay. And for the moment of truth, did you enjoy it? So far, not so much. Okay. 
there, there have been moments and episodes, surprising moments and episodes, where I have particularly enjoyed them, and I, I can appreciate them as actually being very good examples um, of, of a show of this ilk. But a number of them I've come away quite incredulous, uh, quite unbelieving, um, and not entirely sure why I watched it. Okay, now is that coming from just because that was really your reaction to The Last of the Time Lords, and so you're kind of, since that's the most recent thing you watched, you're projecting that onto everything, or did you feel that way truly while watching other things? Uh, I definitely also felt it through The Christmas Invasion. Oh, okay. (laughs) Which I feel like you might have asked me to watch so I could see his hand being cut off. Uh, Well, that was part of it. That wasn't the entire reason. Um... (laughs) Yeah, so what was the other one? There's another one in that David Tennant run with the family. Uh, I was going to say probably um, Human Nature and the Family of Blood. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I understand that you need some of that information about him turning human, but also you don't. (laughs) Definitely you don't need two episodes to understand it. (laughs) I will say that was not on my original list, but so Mm. many people lobbied for me to add it that I did. Um, partly because there will be, I mean, obviously the, the callback to the watch was important for the reveal for the master, um, when we got to Utopia, mm-hmm. but when, I don't want to say any more than that. Yeah, there, no, there's another episode no that you will see in the future that you will understand why we wanted you to watch these. Okay. Okay. If that makes sense at all. <laughs> I, I am already on the edge of my seat looking forward to it. <laughs> Smart ass Matthew. <laughs> no, I think um, one of my issues with it is David Tennant's doctor. Okay. Um, I, I have not found him to be a particularly likable character. Very much everything that I've seen is he's really awful to a lot of people. Like, he's really not very nice. And he wants to win. It's not necessarily that he wants to stop the peril that's happening to people. And and generally, there is also this issue that the peril is quite often everyone in the the world is going to be killed. Like, you can dial back the peril sometimes, guys. Just put a few people in danger. Um, Every time, it's like straight to six billion. (laughs) Okay. But the... Yeah, every time there is something like that, I I never get the impression he's going, everyone's in danger, I have to save them because it is my strict duty. It's, no, I'm the smartest person in the room and I'm going to prove it to you. This is how good I am. Which works in a film. It kind of works with a character. I referenced Doctor Strange. It re- works with a character like Doctor Strange. Overcoming his humility and asking for help and, and defeating people. For the Doctor where he is supposed to be travelling with people and having these adventures. Very much it's about him being better than everyone else. I, I've not felt his... Oh, humanity is the wrong word to say. But I've not felt that he cares about people. He uses them and wants to, uh, wants to triumph. And there was even one where at the end, people had died. At the end of Family of Blood, oh. Martha reminds him that he made an error in all this and people died. And he was really not happy about being reminded about that. And yeah. and I quite appreciate that from both angles of it. You know, if, if we're going to go with the story that he wants to win and he wants to manipulate everyone around him, do that story. But I feel like they also want us to feel like he cares about everyone. It's so important for him to be liked when he treats Martha awfully. He's kind of okay to Rose, but he's an absolute dick to Mickey and Jackie. Oh, wow. You are just hurting my heart so badly (laughs) right now. (laughs) Okay. But 
I do understand mm-hmm. some of what you're saying. And I realized some of that is just because we curated this list for you and we mm-hmm. picked the most important things. And so there are a lot of facets of the doctor's personality that you're not seeing because there yeah. were a lot of lesser adventures and lesser peril. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, everything that you saw went from zero to 60, you know, because we picked out the important ones. And so it's the important ones where there is the most to lose. And it's in all of the smaller ones that I think you get more of the nuance. Mm-hmm. And and you're making me think that I need to revisit the rest of the list and, and see if I should switch out some of the larger things to get some of that nuance in. Because when I watch these episodes in the same order and just these episodes, I tried to look at it with fresh eyes. Mm-hmm. And I kind of came to the same conclusion like wow the the doctor really is kind of a dick but i've got the full story even you know from eccleston all the way to capaldi Mm -hmm. and so for me it's reasonable and i understand why he is the way that he is and i'm kind of regretting not giving you a little bit more than just this big stuff because you're absolutely right you get to see him at his worst in all of these because mm-hmm. in all of these it's either the daleks who he's terrified of and so when he is that scared he just gets mean and we saw that with both eccleston and tenant mm. yeah or he's being blustery because he's trying to save the earth from some other invasion or attacker mm-hmm. And so he's he's setting himself up as one person to be the defender and to, like in the Christmas invasion, it was him by himself against this whole alien invasion, and he had to be blustery to win. And so he sets him up to do that because he is the last of the Time Lords. As far as he knows, up until we get the reveal of the Master, he is the only one like him left in the entire universe. And that does something to a person and it, it makes him be arrogant and it makes him be, oh, I don't know the word that I'm looking for, but he, he does what he has to do, hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's very different from, from what you've seen as, as far as motivation, because you really don't get a lot of the motivation because he doesn't talk about his life before. I know you've watched Classic Who, and, and so you've seen episodes where he was definitely not the last of the Time Lords. And so coming into this and not really getting the story of what happened other than there was a time war, it was between the, the Time Lords and the Daleks, and both races got destroyed and I'm the only one left. Mm-hmm. You know, at this point in the story, that's really all you know. Yeah. You know, and, and I know you probably have a little bit more since you did see the 50th anniversary episode, which heavily focused on the time war. Mm-hmm. But you have to, as you're watching, you kind of have to contextualize everything as you pick up more and more hints. For example, there's a conversation between uh, David Tennant's doctor and the master when they're talking about the time war and the master is saying that he ran away because he was so scared and mm. he says something like, 
but but you were there and you still survived so that could only mean one thing and the doctor says I was the only one who could end it and that's a big line it's kind, it feels like a throwaway line if you don't really pay attention but if you think about what that could mean I was the only one who could end it and the way it ended was the destruction of his entire race mm. That could have something to do with why he is the way that he is. Yeah. It's also harder coming to a character like that. where I, You said he's the defender of things. So I, I've not seen too much of that. It's that he wants to be the smartest man in the room and to beat everyone. Whereas Eccleston, I got that impression. He wants to go and save people. There's mannequins coming alive and there's a girl who's scared. So he grabs her by the hand and says, run. Okay. And he wants to come in and be, yes, I'm going to make things better as a, an atonement for, it. like you say at the time, no idea what the thing was, but for whatever is ailing him. Okay. I got that a lot more from Eccleston. I'm going to counter that with some examples. Okay. <laughs> I mean, in Tennant's very first episode, The Christmas Invasion, you know, he he wakes up when he really isn't supposed to yet, and he kind of sacrifices some of himself to save the world. And he gives this big rousing speech ending with, And when you go back to the stars and tell others of this planet, when you tell them of its riches, its people, its potential, when you talk of the Earth, then make sure that you tell them this. It is defended. And he's not talking about Rose. He's not talking about Jackie. He's talking about the earth. You know, he he was saving all of those people that they were getting ready to make jump off the roof. You know, his very first thing waking up as David Tennant was trying to save the world. And then the next episode you watched was The Girl in the Fireplace. Mm-hmm. It wasn't quite so big, but he was very intent on saving Renette from these clockwork creatures uh, when he figured out the cybermen were in the parallel universe you know his his thought was we have to stop them to save the people because we can't have the people becoming like the cybermen but he also when when he had to destroy the um, emotional inhibitor on that one cyberman they captured he was absolutely gutted to hurt the cyberman so that he was not true. only mm. he was not only displaying compassion for humanity that he was trying to save, he also displayed compassion for all of the alien races that he fought against except for the Daleks. Um, you know, when we get to the impossible planet and the Satan pit, you know, he he's very upset that they can't save the Ood. He was heartbroken at the end that he didn't he could not go back to get them off the planet. He got the people. He was able to save the people in the rocket with the TARDIS, but he couldn't make one more trip to the planet before it was sucked in to save the Ood. He was gutted. You know, his his personality, while he does come across as very arrogant and very, I'm clever, is still rooted in trying to do the right thing. You never see him fire a gun, even in human nature and the family of blood. When he has ordered all of the children to take up arms against this threat and he's holding the gun getting ready to shoot at these scarecrows and he doesn't remember being the doctor something still holds him back he never once fires that gun Mm. and and so 
for me, putting all of this stuff together, it gives me a picture of a man who is very compassionate, does care about saving people and aliens who are in trouble. Not just humanity, though he does have a fondness for Earth, but he he wants to save all of the lesser fortunate or or less capable from those who may come in and take power. And I feel like I see that a lot in, in Tenant's Doctor, but that may be because I've seen twice as much of Tenant than you have. Mm. Yeah, and I, d- I definitely feel there is something in uh, having the curated list is good because it means I don't have to watch all of them. Um, but it also, it means I am missing out on what might be a throwaway character moment, but does fill in something for you or going through an adventure with people. Right. Helps you understand them and accept them more. And there's a couple of things you said in there that very clearly I've taken it in a, a different way than as, as you've watched it. So the girl in the fireplace, yes, he clearly had a thing with her and it was kind of a love story, but very much it all seemed to be much more, there's a puzzle here and I want to solve it and I want to understand this thing. Okay. And she's at the heart of that puzzle, so that's where the interest is and why she was so enthralling to him. And not being able to save the Ood, I can remember him saying it, but I felt like we just then move on. That he doesn't seem heartbroken. He's like, oh, yeah, I couldn't make another thing. Oh, terrible. Anyway. Well, when you say it like that, <laughs> that's not <laughs> that's, the way he said it. That's the way it, come, it came across to me, so. I couldn't save the Ood. I only had time for one trip. They went down with the planet. Okay. Okay. To, to, and to, to me, that was very much a thing where he was upset, that he, he really wanted to save them and, and it hurt him not to go back and save them. But that's that's also, I've watched more Tenet episodes. I've seen Tenet interact with the Ood in future episodes that you're not going to get to see. And so okay. it may be harder for me to separate my knowledge of the whole canon Versus just this curated list, I think. Mm. I agree. So I think, I mean, that's that's a pretty significant conversation about the Doctor's humanity and his darkness. Was there anything well, that you wanted to point out? I guess we didn't really talk about his darkness there because I was defending his humanity. So do you want to <laughs> go into that? Um, so we've talked about Tenant a lot, but obviously Chris Reckleston was a, a number of these episodes too, and he brings a lot to it. He's a very good actor as well, and this was him looking to do something lighter or more accessible for families, because uh, most of his things up to this point hadn't been. And he brought a lot of depth to it. You could see that there was something, and not even just in, in the fact that he's saying, oh, there's a thing, but I'm not going to tell anyone about it, that he is a bit broken. And he does react to things very strongly at times in in both directions. And then the episode Doctor, which brings just a lot to the character. You can see there's something there. You can see how angry he is. You can see how afraid he is of it. And then when when they introduce the Dalek army at the end, and he's both furious at them and doing this whole thing of, it's just me and I have no plan and doesn't that terrify you? And then he turns up and he's mocking them from behind his force field. Right. You really do feel like there there is a lot more going on there that isn't necessarily apparent. So. Right. I had actually made a mistake on the list, and I put this one out of order. And in chronological order, you should have watched Dalek before you watched The Empty Child and The Doctor mm. Dances. Um, but I messed up and, and put them in the the other order. And I think I'm glad because... 
At the end of The Empty Child and the Doctor Dances, the doctor is just so happy. He says, Everybody lives, Rose. Just this once. Everybody lives. Mm. He's so excited that he was actually able to save the people of London. And even the people who were already essentially dead, they, they were all saved. And then when you come to, to Dalek, you know, you get him, like you said, mocking. He says things like, mm-hmm. caught your little signal, help me, poor little thing. Mm-hmm. And you just don't expect that from the doctor. You know, he tells the Dalek, kill yourself. And it's, it's, it's something you don't expect from a character like the doctor, especially coming into it, just kind of generally knowing what the doctor's supposed to be about. And so I wonder, were you caught off guard whenever you saw this episode? Yes, it was, it was actually a really big thing. So I watched it live uh, as the series was broadcast and it was a big thing. This was going to be the new Who and the Daleks are back or there is a Dalek episode. And I, I was really pleased because... Doctor Who overuses Daleks because they're so famous, because they're supposed to be so terrifying. They they enter in a lot of stories. So the idea of we're going to do one story with a Dalek and that's going to say we're never going to use Daleks again because all the Daleks are destroyed was a really interesting way to go. And it made me really happy. Like, okay, this is going to force them to come up with some good new things. And and we're never going to see the Daleks again because we spent this whole episode talking about how this is the last ever Dalek and we're never going to see another Dalek in another Doctor Who episode. Right. Um, and then you get to the end of the season and, hey, look, there's a Dalek army. Oh, next yeah. season, hey, there's another Dalek army. And it just, yeah. they've almost stopped explaining it by this point. Just the Daleks are back, guys. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, and uh, and that's been a complaint of Doctor Who since before new Doctor Who, just that the Daleks were overused. And the Dalek serial that uh, Sylvester McCoy did, uh, Remembrance of the Daleks, is is truly wonderful. It does some really clever stuff. It does some interesting things with the threat of the Daleks and the plans they're coming up with. I seem to remember there's a sort of civil war thing going on with it. And it's the episode where a Dalek goes up the stairs for the first time. And that right. was a monumental, because that was the cliffhanger as well. Doctor and Ace run up some stairs. Doctor gets trapped at the top of the stairs because the door gets locked by a bad guy. But he turn, turns around and the Dalek's still coming up after him. Like, oh, crikey, things have changed. <laughs> yeah. And now they're giant armies who can just zip about anyway. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, we ended up on a tangent there about Daleks. <laughs> when we're supposed to be talking about the Doctor's darkness. What did you think about Rose actually pointing it out to him when she actually... uh, The Doctor is telling Rose to get out of the way because she's trying to protect that Dalek and the Doctor wants to kill it. Rose, get out of the way now! No, because I won't let you do this. That thing killed hundreds of people. It's not the one pointing the gun at me. What did you think about her calling that out? I mean, technically she is, because a Dalek is a gun. <laughs> okay, but that's not but, the point. You know, um, <laughs> I mean, in, in the same episode, the Dalek even told the Doctor you would make a good Dalek. Yeah. See, that's a nice moment. And they did do some nice parallels there between him and the Dalek. Her saying it to him like that is a little heavy-handed. And particularly because she's the one new to the situation. Okay. For everyone watching, we're going, no, no, it's a Dalek, it can die. Right. Like they, they came to a nice resolution 
with it anyway. Okay. Mm. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I just, I just wanted to see what you thought about that. Yeah. In these episodes, particularly right in a row, and then as we keep going with, with Rose, Rose ends up in danger a lot. Were you ever concerned that Rose was actually going to die? No. No, I I was intrigued that um oh continuing on the Dalek theme, she touches the Dalek and it suddenly gets strong enough to break its bonds. Uh huh. There was an implication there that was there was more to her than met the eye. So I was like, oh okay, maybe they're building up to some interesting story of she's actually part alien or something or something that will happen in the future will affect her now. But they didn't go with that route. It was just, once you have time travel, do you have the DNA of a time traveler? And somehow the DNA on the shell of a Dalek can make it strong again. And then it blows up some electricity, and the electricity actually physically heals it. Yes. This is my incredulous face. I, 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 I can hear it. <laughs> I can hear your face, Matthew. <laughs> um, and, and actually, in, in the thoughts, the notes that I made as I, as I went through watching it, there were lots of questions in those first episodes and, and through the Chris Rexton series uh, where I'm sort of, wait, that thing does that thing and that thing does that thing. And I think there was significant, I noticed as I was going through, I was asking significantly fewer questions, but it's because I get to a point of, okay, that, that does that thing. Okay, I'll believe you. All right. Whereas in the beginning, I'm like, really? Oh, that's that's interesting. How does that work? It's like, no, okay, you're just being silly now. Oh, Jackson Mortal now. Good, thank you. Okay. <laughs> no, that made total sense to me. Does that, that, does yeah. that make sense to you? Uh, it makes total sense. I, I have a feeling it's something of a retcon. Uh, I'm not sure they planned it when she brought him back to life. because, And particularly, my thought at that point was, wait, why has she not brought all the other people back to life? Okay. Why just Jack? Come on. A lot of people died there. Because he was Jack. And she she destroyed the Daleks at that point. She did? Yeah. Because then did. she knows how evil they are. Because yeah. <laughs> they're trying to kill the doctor. Yes. Okay. Well, let's let's move right along now. Do, do you ever feel peril for his companions? All the time. Really? You think they're going to die? Yes. Okay. I do, actually, because because they do change. Plus, I'm a sucker, and I kind of believe, <laughs> you know, what they're showing me on the screen. And so, in the moment. <laughs> yes, in the moment. Yeah, okay. um, I'm very much a sucker. And so, when um, in, in Dalek, when Rose didn't make it out the door in time and she stuck with the Dalek, I 100% expected uh, the Dalek to kill her. Uh, I did not expect him to turn around and give her mercy. And in the the parting of the ways, I didn't expect the doctor to fix her and and make her okay, sacrificing himself. And then uh, when Doomsday rolled around, they they made it very clear from the beginning because they did flat out tell us that she died. Of course, she didn't. In she it, did. it, yeah, in inverted commas. <laughs> um, but I still, I still hoped that. You know, she's had all of these close calls. Maybe this won't really be it. And that's the one where she really doesn't come back. And it guts me every time. I, okay. When I got to that, it took me a couple of days to watch that one because I didn't want it to be the last thing I watched before I went to bed because I knew I was going to ball like a baby. Aww. Even now. Even now. I still do. So, yeah. And you didn't get to see very much of Martha, but there are, are times with Martha where 
the same thing happens. I, I don't particularly like Martha. She's my second to least favorite companion of the new era, but I still, I feel for her because the doctor does, Mm. you know, when, when she's in danger and, and, and throughout, you know, all of the companions, I, I feel the same. So yes, basically what I'm saying is I'm gullible and a sucker and I do believe it. I do. And that's one of the problems with it being such a famous show with such publicity on it. You know when a new doctor's coming in. Yes. You know that there is about to be a new actor. So you're not surprised that this is a story where the doctor dies. And by and large, you know when there's a new companion coming in. Did you know that Doomsday was Rose's last episode? I I didn't, but I knew that Billy Piper didn't last a huge amount longer than Chris Reckleston did. Okay. Okay. And and I, I knew that Chris Reckleston was going to leave at the end of the season because that had been a big story over here. Right. The fact that they've right. launched this new thing and it's been successful because we've had one episode and two days later there's an announcement of, oh, he hates it and something's happened and he's going away now. Yeah. Well, it also helps that on the curated list, you know, it's broken out by these are Christopher Eccleston episodes and this next one is a David Tennant episode. Mm, right. <laughs> so, so I know that you, you knew that was coming. So speaking of of the Doctor and Rose, Mm. do you have any thoughts? I mean, now you've seen the Doctor interact with Rose, and you've seen the Doctor interact with Jack, and you've seen the Doctor interact with Martha. Do you have any opinions on the differences in how he interacts with people? Do you think his relationship with Rose was anything more than his relationship was with Martha? Hmm. I think he treats Jack a lot more as an equal. And and he is a little more equal in some ways because he's got more experience with the supernatural, the pre-natural, the fantastic, whatever we're classifying this as. Um, he understands it more and is an adventurer himself. And certainly by when he comes back, there is more going on there. It, but if we're talking just Rose and Martha, I think I preferred Martha as a companion. She generally had a little more agency and a little less... She was less flappable. Rose, okay. Rose quite quickly goes to, oh my God, there's a thing going on with an assumption that she understands it and then it turns out she doesn't understand it and she's made a wrong decision or done a silly thing. Okay. And how did you... Did you, I noticed in your notes that you made some comments about the doctor changing um, once he was with Martha. Do you have any thoughts about that? Was he different? Did his character change? Was it just the way he talked to people, what specifically were you seeing where you thought he changed? So I only saw a couple with Martha. Right. Because it's not really the Doctor and Martha in family blood. Family of blood. Uh, what's the first one? Human nature? Human nature, yeah. It's not, not really the Doctor and Martha in human nature. Uh, it's very much that's her story with him doing a different story. You don't really see them in Blink. Um, and then you get them together a lot in the Utopia trilogy. Do I think he's different with her? He treats her so badly. Because I'm fairly sure he knows she's in love with him. Because she's not too subtle about it. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not good at reading signals, but I'd have picked up on that one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what should he have done differently? What should he have done differently? Oh, he kind of, it, it feels like, from the story, the episodes I've seen, it feels like he strings her along. Oh, wow. I don't get that impression at all. I feel like he treats her as a friend and never... I mean, that's why Martha knows the whole time that 
he's never going to fall in love with her. That's why he she decides to leave. Mm. You know, she's he's not stringing her along. She is hoping that he will see her in a way that he doesn't and he never once never once pretends to. Right. I have very strong feelings about David Tennant. I'm sorry. And, and I suspect in if I'd watched some of the in inverted commas smaller episodes, I would have seen some more of that. Right. But because I'm watching the big episodes where we're introducing new characters who are going to be with us for two or three episodes. They build in a little bit of story, so there's some comparison there. She makes a, a comment about why she's there because the characters themselves are more fully fleshed, whereas in a, a one-off episodic situation, she's the character being filled out more. Right. Perhaps. Uh, and perhaps that's part of the thing we need to consider in curating a list. So, so one of the things we've discussed, to uh, anyone listening to bring them in behind the scenes a bit, is doing this for some other series that you want to watch. So if we say, oh, we, we want to cover a Star Trek, but there's a lot of episodes for Star Trek, so actually let's pick out some of the most significant and do this this similar kind of idea. Is there something we can learn from this and say it's not necessarily the two-parters, big, uh, significant episodes that we need to throw in. It's the most interesting episodes, the ones where they do something a bit different or a bit unusual or a bit fascinating. Which is why you actually really liked Love and Monsters. <laughs> Yeah, this is a very good point to talk about Love and Monsters. It's a really good episode. It's uh. absolutely solid. The <laughs> monster is bad, but then you find out the monster was designed by a nine-year-old, so I can live with it. <laughs> like, oh, okay, fine. The, the idea for the monster is also not bad. It's just really poorly executed. And it, it's Peter Kay, who is a uh, slightly larger-than-life comedian, doing the monster, so it was always going to be a really flamboyant performance as well. But the the monster himself is only in it for 15 minutes. And the rest of it is a story about the people left behind, the people who are aware of the Doctor, but not part of the Doctor's adventures, and seeing them getting on with their lives. Particularly when you start throwing Jackie in the mix. I've never liked Jackie as much as, as I did in that episode. The writers have never liked Jackie as much as they did in that episode. <laughs> okay. And she's she's funny and playful in the sort of weird porn setup thing they've got going on. Hey, I'll make you a cup of tea. Why don't you come indoors, boyo? Um, but <laughs> and then throwing her wine on him. Well, <laughs> yeah, and that's a funny, funny moment. That is very good. And you feel real sympathy for her when she gets a call from Rose, and you see she is actually very sad being left behind. Right. And and the fact that when they turn up, Rose is very distracted and not really bothered about being there. The doctor treats her very poorly. So it's it's a very nice look into it. And, and I can compare it to other episodes of... Uh, there's a great Star Trek Next Gen called, I think, Lower Decks that just follows some random ensigns and lieutenants who work for Riker and Worf and so on, but are having their own little thing going on and they don't have all the information that we would normally have from, from the main characters. It's, it's nice to do that as a one-off. I am really going to have to rethink... The next session, the next <laughs> section of episodes, because you're right. I think coming into it as being such a super fan, it's very easy to want to point to just the big stuff and to say, mm. "Oh, this was magnificent, and this is why it's so amazing." But if you haven't been there for the little moments, then it's not amazing to you. Not from a character perspective, right? 
Yeah. So I, at this point, I don't know if I need to swap episodes in or just add episodes and make you watch more. I don't know. I have to figure this out. I, I think this might be some time. What would you add to the list? So let's not take anything out first. And if you're adding, you know, if you're about to add 15 more episodes, you're taking some off. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're just filling in gaps, if you're saying, here's, you know, you let's say the next season I'm going to start with episode four or five or six, like I did with Human Nature, actually it might have been worthwhile putting in one or two beforehand just to right. ingratiate myself with the characters more. Yeah. Mm. Well, so I'm... <sighs> I'll be honest with you, and guys, I know that we're kind of off the rails on actually talking about the meat of these episodes, but for the list now, I'm wanting to add more Donna Noble episodes, but I feel like in order to do that, I need to go back and add her introductory episode, which you saw a snippet of, because at the end of Doomsday, Donna Noble's the one in the wedding dress who shows up on the TARDIS, and the doctor's going, what? What? And then you don't see her again. I really liked the callback to that, that, that he had the same reaction to the Titanic. He did. <laughs> That's really nice, yeah. But it, but it's really nice because we have, we're introduced to Donna in that episode, um, and then season three starts, and it's all Martha. And then when season four starts, the first episode is that the doctor is trying to investigate some adventure, and he runs into Donna, and you kind of get to see them recognize each other and and start building the friendship that they had begun in that one-off episode and so I feel like those are the kinds of things that you need to see like why do these people like each other versus Mm. oh let's watch all of the things where they're fighting the big bad yeah you know I mean it would be like going through Buffy and watching just the series the season finales hmm it's, it's kind of what it is. And, you know, then throwing a few extras in there, but you're missing out on all of the character development that gives you the reason to be invested in these characters. Yeah, I, I think that would be worthwhile revisiting. Okay. And, and having consideration of it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to put a plea out to the listeners. Um, you guys take a look at the list. You can find it at a tiny.cc slash PCD who it will also be linked to in the show notes and we'll tweet it out a lot. Um, take a look at, at what we've got set up for our next, uh, for next month's episode for what Matthew's supposed to watch and let me know, um, some of those smaller, more nuanced episodes that you think we should include. Um, I think there are probably a few, that would be really beneficial. So reach out, let us know what you think. We, we said there about introducing characters and getting to know them, um, and that I'm watching these these big episodes and not not necessarily taking away the character that you want me to take away. And in some ways, I'm not going to take away the writing because there's there's bits of the way they write Doctor Who that I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy his omniscience. He suddenly goes, oh, I know how to defeat these guys, grabs a thing that we've not been introduced to before and beats them. Or he suddenly, uh, there's a cliffhanger, and then the next moment is he does something. It's like, oh, okay, he's figured it. He's fairly godlike in in the presentation at times. But we can also talk about things like the way they use John Sim, which is just wonderful as the master. That was a properly nuanced performance of having a character who is fun and silly and knows he's generally better than everyone else and, and up to no good or doing something different. 
and and uses it and plays with it and it's very interesting to watch that um some of the other episodes that that we watched had some of that from the the guest characters there were a couple of the people on the doom episode uh satan pit <laughs> the doom episode it's doom <laughs> They have sound effects from the video game Doom in that episode, and the story is mostly the video game Doom. <laughs> I'm going to have to take your word for this, because um, I still don't know anything about Doom. But in the Doom episodes, we got a bit of insight into some of those other characters, and, and the story they had going on was very interesting. And that's a, a little bit rem- reminiscent of some of the really good classic Doctor Who stuff, Was was very much about them... They appear on a planet or or some area of Cardiff, and there's a thing going on by a quarry pit, and they go and investigate and get involved in it, but it's not necessarily their story. And I've, I've really enjoyed it when it's been seeing them come into something, we get to learn about these other things going on. Okay. I think I, I'm the opposite of you, mm. which is partly why I curated the list the way that I did, because I'm even thinking towards more recent seasons and the episodes that I tend to like the least are the ones that take me into the lives of people I don't care about. Okay. And I'm very much about the doctor and his companion and the few people who have been consistent throughout. And, and that's, that's just me. I guess it's, you know, we always talk about how I have this thing for found family and Mm -hmm. that is what I go to doctor who for honestly, is the doctor and his companions and, you know, the few other people who get let in, they're the ones that I care about. And so I don't, I didn't care about the people on the impossible planet and the Satan pit. You know, there's a Capaldi episode um, where they do, I can't even remember what it's called, you know, but there's like ghosts under a lake and there's all these people. And I'm like, I don't care about you guys. I don't care that you're dying. (laughs) I don't care that this is freaky. I just want to see the doctor and his companion have adventures. That's what I want. And and so we're coming at this from two completely different perspectives, which I think is fascinating. And it speaks to the fact that we we do react to uh, a lot of the stuff we watch in in different ways. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's one of the other reasons perhaps why I liked Love and Monsters so much is the doctor wasn't in it. And, And even the stuff I felt that was going to happen to them what I, what I thought was going to happen was he knew Jackie had a way of getting to the Doctor. So he'd go to the Doctor for help and bring the Doctor in. But even they didn't do that. This guy was utterly about to be destroyed. And the Doctor turns up with Rose very annoyed. <laughs> and that was a nice twist, a nice way to deal with, with the outcome of the episode. And I think one of the other episodes that was at the top of your list was Blink, which again mm. has very little of the Doctor in it. Absolutely, yes. Though I will say I adore Blink. It's one of my favorite episodes the the weeping angels and the introduction of them is scary scary as crap and of course we get one of the most quotable lines of doctor who from the episode Mm -hmm. (laughs) even you are aware of people assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect but actually from a non-linear non-subjective viewpoint it's more like a big ball of wibbly wobbly timey-wimey stuff it's it's good. It's good stuff. And yeah. it I did actually in that episode I did care about Sally Sparrow. I don't know why the writing was different. Actually I can probably tell you why. Because I am more of a fan of Stephen Moffat's writing in the early era when Stephen okay. Moffat wasn't the showrunner, when he was just writing stories, I loved his scripts and he right. wrote blank. Okay. Uh, he wrote uh the Empty Child and the Doctor Dances, which mm. is 
you know, one of my all-time favorite stories. They're definitely my favorite episodes from the first season. And so I think that's probably why uh, Love and Monsters was written by Russell T. Davies, and I just don't think he did a Doctorless episode as well. He didn't make me care about Elton and the other folks the way I cared about Sally. Yeah. Sorry, and, and even the cop, uh, Billy... You know, we got to see him for like literally two minutes on screen and it was so sad when he died. It's just different. It's just different mm. people writing it in different perspectives, I think. Mm. And there is also something in Love and Monsters that it has a cast that I like. Most of them I've seen in other things. The, the main chap, Elton, plays the villain in the first Discord adaptation, Mr. Teatime, or okay. Tea Time, as we call it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll take your word for it. The lady that he falls in love with, Ursula, uh, I recognise her from Moaning Myrtle, and I've just seen her, seen her on stage in Girl from the North Country. And of she, course you have, because you she, see everybody on stage. <laughs> she, she's she been incredible in everything, and she was incredible on stage. She was the best thing in, in a wonderful show. So it sort of makes you like them already and want to uh, want them to get through it? Yeah, yeah, I I can understand that. I think I do the same thing if I'm watching a show Mm. and suddenly it's full of all of these guest actors who are people that I generally enjoy their work. I'm going to be a fan of that episode regardless of what it's about. Yeah. Well, you liked Kilgrave in Jessica Jones. Yes. (laughs) I did. There was no way I was not going to like Kilgrave and Jessica Jones because it's David Tennant. Yeah. But... Hey, I I am not fickle with with my heart. I will say that. Mm. I love David Tennant and everything that he does. And that is one of the great things about Doctor Who is uh, it's absolutely a hotbed for aspiring actors or up-and-coming actors. So you'll see people doing a part in this who will go on and do something more significant. Sometimes it's over here that the fact they're then in Emmerdale or The Bill or Casualty, which are long-running British shows. But sometimes they go on and they appear in Harry Potter or Great Gatsby or some other significant show. But you also have people who are famous, particularly British actors, who turn up in this. Derek Jacobi and John Sim, Richard Wilson. And they just turn up and be like, oh, fabulous, I like him. Let's see what he does here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I, I get that totally. Um, it makes me wish I was more familiar with British entertainment. But I have to be honest with you, Doctor Who is the very first British television show I ever watched. And I didn't start watching it until, like I said, like 2008. Mm. Um, so I am slightly, I am British culturally deprived <laughs> about that. <laughs> but not for very much longer. No, you, you are educating me. Even as I'm educating you about Doctor Who, you are Absolutely. teaching me. <laughs> and th- th- there are a lot of things that it does quite well. Sometimes it tries to do them and it doesn't do them so well. So particularly trying to be creepy. It's again one of those things from Classic Who that it's quite a scary show and people, the, the whole hiding behind the sofa from the Daleks thing. I get the impression in this reboot they they stepped away from that somewhat. Russell T. Davies didn't want to write something that had some of that scare element or that creepy, frightening element. Well, but, but there's a lot of, of creep. Mm. You know, the creep factor in a lot of these episodes is pretty high, I think. It just isn't in every episode. Yeah. Sometimes they try for it and it it doesn't come off so well. Sometimes they don't try for it and it's really good. 
So the empty child was was I think trying to be really creepy, and for the most part, it was uh, it was okay. No, you're wrong. It was really creepy. But then there's bits where this creature's going around going, "Mommy," and there is something about children laughing or or talking in a sing song thing that's really creepy to me. Yeah. So, sorry to all my friends who have kids. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think that episode, it it was not just the kid. I mean, the, the kid was a big part of it, especially with the sing-song voice and appearing out of nowhere and, mm. you know, like making phone rings and, and things like that. Um, but just even the other gas mask people, the patients in the hospital, suddenly sitting up in bed and things mm. like that, it it reminded me of some sort of like classic horror B movie. And I tend to be really freaked out by those. Right. So it, it, for me, it very much dialed up the creep factor and it stayed, especially since most of it took place at night. And so it was very dark. So it sold me on the creep factor and, and I'm, I'm very sorry that it didn't sell you. Yeah. Sometimes it, it really kicks in and, that's another example where, for me, it's a bit derivative. I've seen that done in, in like you say, B-movie horror, uh, horror B-movies. Um, I've seen it done in an episode of Star Trek Next Generation. I, I think it's, well, it must have happened in Buffy. It definitely has a reminiscence of the, the body. Yeah. When I even mentioned that we were starting to watch uh, these episodes and what we were starting with our friend on uh, Twitter, this is at this A Shaw. She said that she was living in Cardiff at the time they filmed that, opposite the railway track where the filming actually took place. And apparently there was nothing so scary as 3am child outside in a gas mask and then being woken up by the filming light shining, but only seeing that child. Yeah, I could see that being quite creepy. Yes. Yes, it would be. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Mm. And it is quite funny. I've been to Cardiff a few times and there's moments. That, that was the particular one, I think, because we started it. They said, oh, we're, we're now in London. It's like, mm, not sure that is. I think I know where that is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Cardiff and London are the same thing in Doctor Who. Oh, 100% the same, yeah. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then by the end of season three, they lean into it. There is, oh, there's a time rift beneath Cardiff, so we have to come here a lot. Like, terrific. Yeah, that's part of the, the gloriness of Doctor Who. Gloriness? Glory Glorious. of Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but there was an episode that explained that that you just didn't get to see. This is season one episode called mm. The Unquiet Dead that explained why there's a rift under Cardiff. Right. <laughs> and, and I didn't need to see it because when they went there, he then has a line about it. So they're keeping me up to date. Even if you oh, you're you're right. He did mention the Gelf. You're right. Mm. I remember. I just... I want you to watch all of it, though. I'm not going to watch all I of it. I can't help it. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to accept this. Um, but you've also got uh, The Impossible Planet, The Satan Pit, where they were trying to do creepy things throughout, but there are a couple of moments that are genuinely... Because they come out of nowhere, the Ood suddenly makes a comment about, you know, it, it devours from beneath you. I can't remember what he says. Um, but he says something along those lines. And You've it's been watching too much Buffy lately. Too much still pretty. <laughs> he, because he's just serving lunch, it comes out of nowhere. And it's it's genuinely a bit creeping there. And with the Weeping Angels as well, they're not the best scariest monster. But there are a couple of moments in that when it suddenly flashes up. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's that's pretty terrifying. I don't really have anything to say about that because I, 
I think the Weeping Angels are one of the scariest monsters in Doctor Who. Okay. That's that's all I can say at this moment. <laughs> okay. I have information and knowledge beyond just this one episode. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so given that this isn't your favorite thing, that you're really doing it because it's it's homework for you. Did you have any favorite moments, lines, performances that, that stood out to you that you did really enjoy? I, I think it's very clear Christopher Eccleston. I, I really enjoyed watching him on screen because as much as he also did some of the irreverent stuff that uh, doesn't go very far with me, he also does some uh, more fun but a deeper performance, a more well-rounded performance where I get a bit of nuance from him about caring about people but also being smart but also making comments. Thoroughly enjoyed him on screen and, and it is a shame that whatever happened happened and, and he doesn't partake in Doctor Who anymore. I wonder if the 50th anniversary episode, the, the whole thing with John Hurt, if he'd been prepared to come back and do that part, we wouldn't have had the, in inverted commas, war doctor. It just would have been an early Christopher Eccleston story. Uh, yeah, I think that's true, yes. Mm. I do think that's true. Yeah. And and the companions, I don't feel a huge amount of peril for the companions because quite often we know when they're leaving and coming back and it's done on a seasonal basis now. But when the Doctor's not around, the companions usually have a lot of agency. Rose took a very long time to have her own drive and agency in these things it, it was I think after the girl with the fireplace that I really felt she understood what was going on it wasn't always her having to be explained to to understand things you didn't get that from her in um, Bad Wolf and Parting of the Ways when she's fighting so hard to get back to the doctor to help him well that's exactly what I mean with when the doctor's not around okay so take okay. the take the companion away give them their own plot line and they go and do a thing sometimes they go and do a thing like in dalek where she goes and sees the dalek and and i think my comment was why is she going to see the dalek oh narrative imperative okay <laughs> okay but they they go and do a thing and you and you really get the impression they have have developed they have built confidence from what goes on but when they're with the doctor and it's problematic for probably seeing two companions who are in love with the doctor that they whimper a bit around him and get into trouble and he has to go and rescue them or worry about them. Right. But they, both, both Martha, uh, when, when I think back to human nature, she was very good in talking about how she's going to go do go off to the stars and she's looking forward to this and going to do the thing. When in the Utopia trilogy uh, and Last of the Time Lords, she goes off and does her thing. She's a much more interesting character. That's probably why you like Martha better than Rose then because... You only got to see Martha doing her own thing. You didn't really get to see her having adventures with the Doctor. Yeah, because I can't really remember her from Blink. Well, yeah, I mean, she she was in it long enough to say, Doctor, we have to go. It's like migrating season or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's literally all she said in that episode. So, yeah. Um, okay. And Blink, yeah, Blink was a, a really good episode. So that's probably, it was one that I was already looking forward to seeing, having heard it was very good, and it, it definitely lived up to that thing. And then in terms of favourite moments, the Cybermen and Dalek coming face to face, and the, the two exchanges in whatever their episodes are called, Army of Ghosts, and no, well, that Daleks was the, the, v yeah. Superman Dawn of Justice. <laughs> yes, yes, okay, we'll go with that, but it was Army of Ghosts and Doomsday. There you go. Okay. Um, 
Uh, yeah, Ooh. no, that, that bit makes me laugh every time, every mm. single time. And every time I see a GIF of that scene, I will always, always repost it. Just because, you know, in that moment, the Cybermen are smarter than the Daleks, and I think that's amazing. Identify yourselves! You will identify first. State your identity! You will identify first. Identify! It's like Stephen Hawkins meets the speaking clock. And I love uh, Deleted versus Exterminate. Yeah, it's just so snippy back and forth from them. Uh, your, your design is inelegant. Daleks have no concept of elegance. This is obvious. Ooh, get her (laughs) yeah they're sassy which is interesting since they're supposed to not have emotions Mm. but they are a little sassy even the Daleks are you know with saying things like to the doctor you would make a good Dalek yeah you know that that's a line that comes from passion Mm. and they're not supposed to have passion no that I I have a memory of them always having this slight element for quippiness because a, a good villain should have some repartee with the the protagonist, so yeah, yeah. But then later, there's the a little. In fact, I'm not even sure it's too much later. There, there is the bit of posturing. You have declared war upon the Cybermen. This is not war. This is pest control. We have five million Cybermen. How many are you? Four. You would destroy the Cybermen with four Daleks. We would destroy the Cybermen with one Dalek. You are superior in only one respect. What is that? You are better at dying. (laughs) Yeah. You've declared war upon the Cybermen. This is more, this is pest control. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the writers of that one, and I actually think that one uh, was Russell T. Davies. Right. There was definitely some like Joss Whedon level, like pithiness going on there. Yeah, <laughs> between the robots. Because um, they've never, I think they've never had a story together, or, or with this much contact between each other. So uh, it's really nicely done. Mandy, what what were your two favorite moments? <laughs> You're only allowed two. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I'm going to give you three. <laughs> I think uh, my favorite. I, I do love, I have a soft spot in my heart for the Christmas invasion, even though it's ridiculous. And I understand it's ridiculous. And most of it, the doctor's not even in it. But the bits that he does have when he wakes up, you know, when he's starting to talk up the human race and he starts quoting the Lion King. Look at these people, these human beings. Consider their potential from the day they arrive on the planet and blinking step into the sun. There is more to see than can ever be seen. More to do than... No, hold on. Sorry, that's the Lion King. But the point still stands. It just makes me laugh every time. <laughs> but then, you know, and at the end of the fight, when he's sending them away, you know, he's 
he gives that grand speech that that I've already referenced where you know he's telling them you go back and you you think about the potential of the human race and you think about who they are and who they could be and before you go tell other people that they should come here and invade this planet you just remember it, it is, is defended. defended and that line it is defended has always stuck with me it's one of my very favorite things mm. that the doctor has ever said I love it when he just gets all passionate about Earth. That's right. really what it is. Nice. That's what it is. I would be remiss if I did not mention David Tennant's line, always take a banana to a party, which he <laughs> says in uh, The Girl in the Fireplace, just because it calls back to the Farscape episodes that we just did. Mm. I love it. Yeah, I did. Again, when he's with Jack, there's a bit more back and forth, a bit more quippiness and a bit more equality in the dialogue they have yeah yeah i i, I did quite enjoy that because i remember that's for a whole sequence where they're bantering about guns as they're running away from someone right and in that instance the gun actually turns into a banana well exactly, or he replaces yeah. the gun with a banana which is more directly correlated to, to farscape but mm, yeah. always take a banana to a party is a very quotable line so it's, that's the uh, one that i i go to it's a good source of potassium <laughs> <laughs> and you know when when jack is leaving the doctor and Martha at the end, he makes this joke where he says, the face of Bo, they called me. And I realized listening to that, that that had no payoff for you because you didn't get to see a single episode Mm. that had the face of Bo in it. And so it would have made no sense to you. And that just kind of broke my little heart because it really is. Honestly, it's it's intended to be a throwaway line. It, it's not even really intended to be canon to actually explicitly say Jack Harkness and the face of Bo are the same. It was supposed to just be a funny thing. But it's amazing to think of because Jack is going to live for millions of years just like the face of Bo did. And so it's plausible. But you don't know that. You have no idea who the face of Bo is. And that just made me – that made me a little bit sad. Um because it it was such a great little callback to things that we had seen in the past, mm. and and that is the nice thing about uh, the sort of modern age of television, where even a show like this, which is quite heavily episodic, is comfortable referencing itself. Right, and that that didn't happen. Certainly, it didn't really happen in classic Who. Um, it didn't happen in TV in general before Buffy, pretty much. Yeah, I think Russell T Davies did did take a lot of cues from the Buffy playbook. Mm with the way they structured seasons and and arcs and having kind of like building up to a big bad even though generally the big bad would only show up in like the final three episodes or the final two episodes you know you still end the season fighting this big threat you build up you you know during the season you've got all these little things that you have to fight you know like the weeping angels or the love and monsters dude but then in the end, you've got the big peril of mm. the Master's going to destroy all of humanity. Or you've got the Daleks and the Cybermen are going to take over all the people and turn them into more Daleks and Cybermen or whatever. And, and that's definitely a very Buffian thing, I think. Mm. Buffian, yes. yes. Yes, I made it. That's my, that's my new word. <laughs> I declare it to be so. Yeah, the I, I liked the arc with the Bad Wolf stuff, but... It felt like a lot of build-up for not much payoff for the I bad wolf stuff that. to have built up to. Oh, it's to tell you to go and do this thing. Uh, could have could have had more impact, but I liked what they did with, from what I saw of season three, having 
plot threads coming together finally um no no I, and i'm not saying finally in a I'm rolling my eyes finally but they did come together the poss- right. possibly they intended this with jack but certainly when they then wrote him in to do other stuff this was part of his character and then they bring in uh the, the doctor becoming human and the last of the time lords and it, it it came together very well all the different sporadic things we'd seen actually can you ask answer a question for me when did torchwood run has it happened by this point, or is it about to happen? Uh, no, it has already happened. When uh, Jack runs and holds on to the side of the TARDIS, that happens during the run of Torchwood. So he is already doing Torchwood or whatever, and there's okay. a few episodes. I haven't actually watched Torchwood, you guys. I'm embarrassed to admit this. Because <laughs> you're pop culture deprived. <laughs> yes. Um, but but I did look look this up at some point, and, and I know that there's... Um, it's kind of briefly mentioned in passing that he goes off and has an adventure with the doctor during the run of Torchwood. But he, when he's leaving mm-hmm. Martha and uh, the doctor at the end of what episode was that? Utopia. He's going back to Torchwood. Right. So Torchwood had already started at this point. Yeah. And uh, yeah, because Torchwood is referenced in Bad Wolf, which was quite nicely done. And then it's used in the Christmas invasion. So, so it's then set up towards Doomsday. And I'm assuming maybe after Doomsday, they start the series of Torchwood with him rebuilding it. I think so, yes. Yeah, okay. Because you did not get to see the episode where Torchwood is actually comes to be. That was one that we skipped because okay. it's about werewolves. <laughs> and it's really okay. not very good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, in, in the canon, Queen Victoria started Torchwood to actually fight against the doctor. She declares the doctor an enemy of the state, makes him leave. Right. And uh, thus begins Torchwood. Oh, and it well, evolved over the years. So, But you didn't get to see that because it was about werewolves. Okay. <laughs> if we skipped the werewolves of Doctor Who. Right. <laughs> and I will have to say, mention, mentioning the Christmas invasion, Penelope Wilton as the Prime Minister was excellent in that. Really enjoyed. I love her. I love mm. Harriet Jones. I, I wish... You know, and I'm going to keep saying this. I just wish you had seen all of the episodes. I wish you had seen her introduction in season one. But I wouldn't show you those episodes to save my life because okay. you would have hated them and they would have been <laughs> awful. I mean, the the alien. Oh, my gosh. The aliens in that episode, the Slovene, they're terrible. They look terrible. The, they're awful. And, like, it is written into the script that one of the byproducts of the Slovene wearing human suits to look human is that they fart a lot. Right. So no, I was not going to show you those episodes. Now, it's ridiculous and they, they might look bad. But for me, that's part of the charm of Doctor Who. Okay. Is that, is that you are suspending an element of disbelief. But you can't do that when you're using CG and creating armies and trying to do high quality effects, both both practical and computer generated, because you have to buy what's on screen. So when it's not done well, you go, well, that's a bit poor. But when it's all a bit poor, when it's the same street that you've been filming the whole season in and you're going back to that quarry pit again, you go, okay, I can run with it. It's fine. I know you had a budget. Okay. All right. And, but it's, it's, again, it's me coming with baggage of that's the charm of it. And this, this doesn't have that charm because it's trying to elevate itself, which doesn't need to be elevated. Lean into the silliness and, and let me imagine the, the fill in the gaps. Okay. I will definitely have to do some shuffling of okay. the next the next grouping of episodes for sure. So moving out of this discussion now and looking ahead, what 
expectations do you have for the next segment? Are you, I am really concerned that you're going to be disappointed and that you're going to hate it because that's kind of what I'm getting from you here. So is this like a Farscape season three thing for you? Like it was for me or or are you hoping it gets better? I'm, uh, yes, I'm hoping it gets better. (laughs) Do you think it will? It's probably the better question. You're allowed to laugh at that joke, though. That was quite funny. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I'm very interested to see Matt Smith. Um, I'm hoping I enjoy him more. From what I've seen, I think he's got more humility, from my understanding of the character, where David Tennant annoys me a bit with his smug arrogance, because it's just not British. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And I think... I'm I'm going to have to tailor it against my dislike for kooky Brit stuff because I also know there's bow ties and fezzes which have been the same thing with the 3D glasses and the trainers. Right, right. Uh, I do actually think you're going to like Matt Smith better than David mm. Tennant, which is interesting because I hated Matt Smith at first. It took me a long time to warm up to him. Is that because and- he wasn't David Tennant? Yes, he was just so different. I mean, he was so very different. He was different from Eccleston. He was different from Tennant. He brought something completely new to the story. And I struggled with that because I don't do well with change, Mm. which makes you wonder why I love Doctor Who so much. (laughs) (laughs) So it took me, it took me a while. I think it was, I had to get through seasons five and six before I really liked him. And then I went back and rewatched season five after liking him and then I loved Mm. it but the first time I watched it I hated it but that that makes me think you might like it a lot more than I did just because you do like the quirky stuff and Mm. you do like the silly a little bit more than this serious business thing that that tenants got Mm. going on yeah okay well I am excited and looking forward to it so that's that's my hope for. I'm very interested to see what happens with him. I'm interested to see what happens with David Tennant, but it'll be interesting to see if they do change the character at all. I'd I'd like to see him with new companions, maybe a companion who doesn't love him, and and with multiple companions. This single companion thing, oh, I'm not totally sure it works as well. Well, you did have, you didn't actually really get to see it, but he did travel with Rose and Jack, right? And there was a, another guy um, with them for a little while. Okay. But he was stupid, and I hated him, and I'm yeah. glad he didn't stay. That, the British guy from Dalek. Um. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He was stupid and could not follow directions, and okay. it was bad. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Well, this week we are running a little bit long because there's just so much to say about Doctor Who. So we're not going to do listener feedback this week, but we are reading everything that you give us. So please continue to send that to us. And if you need a reminder, there are many ways that you can get in touch with us. If you want to give us your comments on Doctor Who or anything else that's on our list, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. If you'd like to leave us an actual voice message, you can go to speakpipe.com slash gushing and record a 90-second message for us. We'd really love to hear your voice. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vose. 
Pop Culture Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through our Patreon page. Any amount you can give, even $1 a month, it gives you access to exclusive content and it helps to support the network and help us develop new shows. To find out more, please visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And if you want to keep up to date with the latest news and announcements, don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter. The link is on the website, eloquentgushing.com. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about American beauty with our friend Vivian from the Burger of the Week and Fork and Bullshirt podcast. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.